Over the weekend, Washington, D.C. geared up for a rally for right-wing extremists. It was called Justice for J6. It was supposed to be the show of support for the January 6th insurrectionists. The city called in the National Guard. D.C. police were out in huge numbers. People were nervous. In the end, there were more police and reporters than actual attendees. What a wonderful turnout. I, before we get started, I want to make sure that everybody got their wrists measured for the, uh, the handcuffs when the FBI swoops in to take us all away. We all got our wrists measured, right, when we came in? Part of the reason no one showed up is because members of the right-wing groups that were at the Capitol back in January, they warned each other to stay away this time. And just because they're not showing up in person doesn't mean their ideas aren't spreading. They are, through groups like the Oath Keepers. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Emma Talkoff, in for Martine Powers. It's Monday, September 20th. All these months after the insurrection, we're still learning more about who the Oath Keepers are and how they operate. They style themselves as this militia group. But a deeper look shows that the Oath Keepers act as more of this far-right propaganda machine. And people who track extremists say the group's message will endure, no matter what happens to them in court. Oath Keepers is part of the American far-right extremist landscape, and it specifically falls under this category of anti-government or part of the militia movement. Hannah Alam is a national security reporter at The Post, and she's been reporting on the consequences for people who broke into the Capitol on January 6th. When you think of Oath Keepers in January 6th, there's this one iconic image that comes to mind, and it's that military stack formation of Oath Keepers associates that we saw charging up the steps and into the Capitol building. And, I mean, that image and the apparent planning that was on display with their tactical gears and their radios is one of the reasons why many refer to that event as an insurrection. Three people affiliated with the far-right militia group The Oath Keepers have been accused of conspiring to forcibly storm the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. This is a group that believes that the U.S. government is systematically stripping the constitutional rights of its own citizens. Federal prosecutors are building a conspiracy case involving Oath Keepers associates, in part related to that image that we're talking about. Craig, good morning. We have new charges, new developments, really new indication. This is the epicenter of the January 6th insurrection investigation. The far-right extremist group, the Oath Keepers, appeared in federal court. They faced charges of conspiracy and breaching the Capitol during the January 6th insurrection. And this comes as four more members were charged over the weekend in connection with the Capitol riot. As it stands now, around 22 Oath Keepers associates have been charged in connection with the Capitol attack, including 18 accused of conspiracy. And that's part of the largest single indictment of the whole probe. And there are five others who have already pleaded guilty, some of whom are cooperating with authorities. I suppose like the sort of singularity of the Oath Keepers is that this group in particular tries to recruit former law enforcement and military veterans, as well as active duty personnel. And they want them to swear an oath that that they won't follow what Oath Keepers consider as unlawful orders, or, which is anything they perceive as running against their literalist interpretation of the Constitution. 
In terms of what Oath Keepers looks like or their size or scope, analysts agree that this is a group with exponentially more online members or sympathizers, they call them keyboard warriors, than they've ever had show up to any of their in-person events. Like other groups that fall under this banner, they say they're organizing against a, quote, tyrannical federal government, that it's the duty of citizens to fight back against what they see as uh, government overreach, especially around gun control measures. But panning out Many of the issues that they organize around are rooted in conspiracies. So most recently, they've been involved, of course, in the Stop the Steal movement and in uh, different protests against COVID-19 restrictions. I want to ask this name, Oath Keepers, like what is the oath that they're keeping? It's the idea that there are unlawful orders and that U.S. citizens, uh, people who've sworn an oath in law enforcement or the military, that they don't have to follow what they consider anti-Constitution order, orders that run counter to their interpretation hmm. of the Constitution. So if it were, say, a gun control measure, they would ask that law enforcement not enforce that, not go out and take guns, not prosecute people. But it's much more broad than that now. Mm. You know, we have now sort of ordinary people talking about unlawful vaccine mandates. That's Mm. an unlawful order. So that idea that the Oath Keepers propagates about citizens have the right to refuse unlawful, unconstitutional orders that's now sort of gone mainstream. And we see that in these, you know, different protests around the country. Hmm. Do you have a sense of the actual numbers of people who are, you know, members of this group compared to just people who have maybe adopted this ideology? Anyone who's tried to pin down Oath Keepers membership numbers can tell you it is a fool's errand. Mm. It is very hard to separate fact from fiction when you deal with this group because, you know, you have the organization itself saying we have tens of thousands of, of members of patriots at the ready to stand up, you know, and they boast of this like tens of thousands strong national movement. Most extremism tracking groups and advocacy groups, civil rights groups, say there were never more than 5,000 actual members of Oath Keepers. And then when you get down to who would actually show up for what they call a national call out, that's where they say, "Okay, Oath Keepers members, you have to be at this place at this time to protest this issue. We're talking a dozen Sometimes fewer than that, according to former members, uh, extremism trackers, and then my own observations from being out at these events. I can tell you, even on January 6th, as I was walking behind some members of the far-right Proud Boys gang, I overheard a conversation where one of them told the other, hey, I heard the Oath Keepers are here today at the Capitol. And the other says something like, "Um, what, they actually showed up to something? Because that was kind of their reputation, even in these far-right circles, is that they talk a big game, but in the end, they're keyboard warriors or they show up in very small numbers, if at all. So, Hannah, where did this group come from? So... Barack Obama's election in 2008 re-energized the anti-government militia movement, and Oath Keepers was part of that wave. So there was chatter about this fledgling group online, and then it was sort of officially announced in 2009 by the founder, Stuart Rhodes. This is our mission, is to make sure that, you know, the men with the big guns are on our side. And uh, one thing I want the listeners to know about is, is we are rallying on Lexington Green on April the 19th, which is the anniversary of the first shot 
in the American Revolution that shot heard around the world, and we're going to read out our declaration uh, of orders we will not obey, uh, read them aloud, and reaffirm our oaths to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Rhodes is 56 years old, and he cuts this really striking figure. He likes to wear a black cowboy hat. He dresses up in tactical gear, like those tactical vests we've seen. He has an eye patch from an old firearm injury. So he's a very sort of noticeable and kind of singular person in in this space. So, uh, you know, as many... uh, analysts have told me he looks the part and he talks the part. His speeches focus on these themes of patriotism, liberty, standing up to tyranny. We will not obey any order to blockade American cities, thus turning them into giant concentration camps. In our own history, that was done to Boston. That's what happened to Boston. It was blockaded in. They tried to starve them out, essentially, and it took the militia to kick the British out of Boston and liberate the people of Boston. Civil war is always around the corner. There's always a conspiracy, a plot against the patriots of America. Those cowboys showed America how it's done. You cowboy up and you friggin' ride. And that's what they did. What it was was a combined arms defense of the Constitution. And so he goes around warning communities to prepare, to be preppers, to take up arms, to stockpile supplies, be ready for conflict. And he would sell this idea that Oath Keepers is a continuation of the American Revolution, and Mm -hmm. you too can be as noble and rebellious as the Founding Fathers. Um, Stuart Rhodes' uh, estranged wife told me that he fancied himself, quote, the next George Washington. (laughs) You know, that's how, how she described it. What we have here is a combined effort. How many patriots are here today? How many veterans, cops or military, are here today? Raise your hand. We also swore that oath to support and defend the Constitution. This is ground zero in the defense of the Constitution, and the most important part of it, the First Amendment. This is a pitch you see across the board in various types of extremist recruiting, this promise of a cause, a purpose, um, a chance for glory. In closing, I just want to thank everyone for coming out. You do us pride and honor. It's strength and honor for all of us together. This will never happen again so long as we stay united. God bless you all. Where Rhodes is different from other leaders in the space is that he came up through a fairly conventional uh, route. He was an aide to former libertarian Congressman Ron Paul. He graduated from Yale Law School, where he focused on constitutional issues. But then he gradually became more militant, and he, you know, that kind of constitutionalist stance evolved into a, an ideology that's been described to me as radical libertarianism. And, you know, experts who study him and former associates who've broken with him say that that Ivy League training has served Rhodes well and that he has learned to walk this fine line of promoting violent ideologies but stopping short of making what would be considered criminal threats or actually carrying out violence. And so there's just story after story from associates, from extremism trackers who describe a pattern where Rhodes will be up front before an event saying, everybody be there, everybody arm, you know, this is the one. (laughs) And then 
whether it's in the field or in the courtroom afterwards, when it comes to consequences, he's nowhere to be found. Hmm. And how did all of that play out on January 6th? What was the involvement of this group in the storming of the Capitol? So this is still very much an active investigation and an ongoing prosecution. We're piecing together what federal prosecutors believe about this group through all these court filings in this case. And to federal prosecutors, Rhodes is referenced in the filings as person one. And in the prosecution's timeline, Rhodes coordinated with other participants before and during the the Capitol events. He allegedly gave advice about weapons to bring. And then he spoke with a member who was part of that stack formation that we saw going into the Capitol just moments before the group charged inside. But Rhodes himself did not go inside the Capitol. As far as we know, there's no evidence of that. He's denied it. There's been no evidence released by the prosecution saying that he ever stepped inside. And there's no public evidence that shows him giving direct orders for Oath Keepers to go inside. So here we are eight months later. He remains free and uncharged, and it's unclear yet whether he will be charged. It's obviously a much more dire situation for some of his uh, associates. I mean, around 22 of them are facing serious uh, federal charges. After the break, how Stuart Rhodes has avoided legal consequences and what that means for the ideologies behind the Oath Keepers. We'll be right back. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. I guess it seems wild to me that the person who is, you know, setting himself up and presenting himself as the mastermind of this whole group and, you know, is encouraging people has avoided being charged. Like, how is that possible? That is the question we were really trying to explore um, Hmm. with our reporting. And we found that there are all sorts of theories swirling around. Oh, Rhodes, because he has this Ivy League law degree, knew just where the lines were, and he was able to stay just inside legal bounds. There's another theory that, oh, the indictment's coming. Prosecutors are still gathering evidence from the defendants, including a self-described founding member, who are cooperating with investigators. And then there's the view of his fellow militants within the anti-government movement. And there's been this really, this building suspicion that Rhodes is somehow secretly working with the FBI because how on earth could someone who's named as person one, how is that person still showing up at on the border to give speeches? How hmm. is he still going to the CPAC conservative, you know, convention. He's making public appearances. He's on podcasts. He's on radio wow. shows. He's going about his life. So they're hmm. casting, you know, even in these right wing circles where people have rallied around the January 6th defendants, they're not necessarily rallying around Rhodes. In fact, they're saying, how is it that all these guys 
that, you know, you were coordinating with and that you were in touch with moments before they're charging in the building, they're all charged and you're going about your going on about your life to them. It's inconceivable that it's anything other than um, he's turned informant. And Hmm. the domestic terrorism analysts I talk with about that say that that take underestimates Rhodes' um, familiarity with federal law and just how far to push it. So I guess I'm just wondering, like, how much would it even matter if Rhodes himself were to be prosecuted and arrested? Given that it seems like there's so many people involved in this group who are just sort of loose followers of this ideology and not even necessarily official members. I think symbolically, it would be very important because there's this perception that Rhodes is someone who has been out there for years espousing um, militant, extremist, violent ideologies uh, against the government and that he's been able to do that with impunity. He is protected by free speech. He knows the lines uh, of federal law. He plays it very carefully. And so I think both for uh, extremism trackers who keep asking, you know, how does this guy get away with this? You know, how does he keep saying this? And they would like to see some sort of accountability. However, at the same time, the movement has evolved well beyond Rhodes. Hmm. And this guy who kind of looks and acts and talks like the central casting idea of a militia figure, Hmm. a militia commander is, I, I mean... We have to remember that if you pan out from that stack formation of Oath Keepers associates going in, they were shoulder to shoulder with hundreds and hundreds of people who did not belong to any kind of formal extremist group, but who were mobilized to action, were animated that day by the same hard right agendas. And so what was once considered fringe views, he was once a fringe figure. And now the same kinds of views that were once in the domain of these, you know, telegram channels or, you know, a a tiny far-right rally somewhere. Now that's mainstream on conservative news channels. Those are the same ideologies that are showing up and animating protests, um, some of them violent, at local hospitals, at school boards, at local government offices around the country. So these fringe views have really gone mainstream in a way that um, that have domestic extremism analysts worried. And Rhodes really didn't have all that much command over his group to begin with. And so in many ways, it is this kind of leaderless movement where he is just one of many people propagating these views that are animating a lot of people to actually act. That's Hannah Alam. She's a national security reporter for The Post. And that's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Lena Mohammed and produced by Renny Shinovsky. You can learn more about the story in today's show at postreports.com. And join the conversation online using the hashtag postreports. I'm Emma Chalkoff. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.